Living the Principles. This podcast is hosted by Latricia Smith and Phyllis G. Williams. Living the Principles seeks to expand mindsets, express beliefs, and edify excellence in hopes of building a stronger Black community. Welcome to Living the Principles. Welcome. I am Latricia, and with me today is my co-host, Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis. Hello, Latricia, and hello out there, Difference Makers. Today, we have a special guest. Lanita Mitchell-Blackwell is an attorney, CPA, and Supreme Performance and Personal and Professional Development Coach. As a managing partner of LMB Law Offices, PC, based in Atlanta, Georgia, Lanita specializes in residential real estate and estate planning. Over the past 15 years, she has helped people plan, implement, and stay committed to their financial goals that pave the way to their future. Lanita may be reached at www.lmblawoffices.com. Today's episode is entitled, Before It Is Too Late. Welcome, Lanita. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you, ladies, for having me on the show. I appreciate you. Pleasure's ours. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. So before it's too late, we know in the Black community, there's so much going on with COVID now, and we're twice as likely to have complications and even death from this disease. And when Trisha and I were talking, we were talking about having things in place in case you do reach an early demise. Can you tell us some things of why it's so important to have a will and funeral arrangement from a legal standpoint? Absolutely. So I think we need to look very broad at what we want for our families when we leave them. We want them to be in a better place. We want them to emotionally feel good about the lives that we live and the relationship that we have. And we want them to maintain a really good feeling and that transcends into the physical as well. And that is why we do estate planning and, you know, strip away the technical part of the words estate planning and just think about it. This is your desire for your family to be in good shape, to be all right, because that's what we all want for our families, right? We want them to be all right. And so when we look at How we're going to do that, we have a few tools that we use. One of them, as you noted earlier, is a will. And that just really says, this is what I want to happen to the things that I've amassed during this life. For many people, it's a home. It's valuables such as a brooch that maybe grandmother left you, or it's a car that used to be your grandfather's and you've had it restored and it's in wonderful condition. And sometimes it's something small, but it meant something to the two of you, like a a book that you used to enjoy going back and forth over or, or a special deck of cards that was signed by Prince, his purpleness, right? But these are the things that you want enumerated. So when people say, well, what are we going to do with all of this stuff where it's already laid out? Now, you don't have to be like really detailed in that, right? Because you don't want to say, well, this pair of socks to JoJo and this dress to Sam. What you want to be specific enough with the larger items, like I mentioned, the the house and the car and, and any cash that you may have, so that there's no fighting. Because when there's fighting in the family, 
right off the bat, we no longer have that good feeling. The family is not good. The next thing that you want to have is a power of attorney. Uh, As you mentioned, particularly during this time with COVID-19, you never know when you'll go and you don't know how. And so there might be a prolonged illness from the time that you initially are diagnosed to the time that you actually transition. And the power of attorney will help your loved ones know who's in charge and what they're in charge of. Because you can designate different people to be in charge of different things. So you can have the financial power of attorney, but then you can have another set of documents called a conservatorship or a trust. If you have a child and you want someone to be over them, so that's guardianship papers. And then you can have another person that's in charge of your physical well-being and the decisions that are made if you become incapacitated. Now, in the state of Georgia, that is called an advanced directive. In other states, it might be called a living will. And then last, you really want to ensure that you have insurance set up. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, now, how do I get insurance now with everything that's going on? It's probably expensive. Well, there's term life, which is normally very reasonable. You can normally get a $100,000 or $200,000 policy pretty easily for maybe 50 or 60 bucks a month, if that's a little pricey for you. Everybody gets those little solicitations in the mail from like Globe Life Insurance and all the rest of it. And that was not a plug. That was just an example where you can pay like $20 or $30 a month. And then that ensures that there is generational wealth to be left to the family as well. So if something happens to you, they have money to not just bury you, but to do something else, to maybe invest in their dreams later on in life. So I know that was a lot of information. And if you want to tease out a few things for us to chop it up over, I am your lady. Well, I had to go and start taking notes because, okay, this and that, okay, make sure I have that one, three types of wheels, power of attorneys. So it's really great information. As you were speaking, your last statement, you may want to get these things in place so your loved ones can invest in their future. One thing I've seen in the Black community sometimes is this hesitation to have a will and funeral arrangements. Do you see that sometimes as well? Like, I ain't going to get nobody else something so they could just live with their feet up. I've seen that type of attitude as if it's a handout with insurance. So do you see that? And if so, how can we impact that? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, it's not just Black people. It's just we're more aware of it because we are Black. I see this in every community. First of all, we're dealing with a mindset. People do not want to face the fact that we did not come here to stay. There is fear behind knowing that you have a defined period of time on this earth. And particularly when you feel that you have not accomplished everything that you had in your mind that you should. And so there is a subconscious effort to suppress the inevitable conclusion that we all come to that I'm not going to be here in this life forever. And so we put off decisions that really need to be done and that are very easy. Like I said, filling out the term life insurance policy, or if you have the resources, getting a whole life insurance policy. Going and if you don't have resources to hire an attorney to create a will for you, downloading one from the internet. And, you know, a lot of people try to make it really complicated. For most states, you do not have to have an attorney complete that. You do not have to have it notarized. You don't have to have all the witnesses. Those things make the will self-authenticating and self-proving, which means that 
someone can't come and challenge the validity of the document. But you just writing a letter stating what you want and how you want it done, that is valid and that can be held up as evidence to a court of law. That tells everybody what you wanted. So that's the first thing. The second thing is people get overwhelmed when it comes to really important decisions. And sometimes they are too scared to take one step because they know that there are 10 that need to be taken. So I'll say, take a breath. (sighs) Okay. And now just pick one thing to do. Just start somewhere. I don't care if it's you starting with a will or you're starting with the power of attorney or you're starting with insurance or you're starting with just that simple letter that I said. It doesn't matter where you start, just start. Now, if you are blessed to have the resources to hire somebody, a a legal professional, preferably, to do it, then please do. A lot of times I am challenged. I actually remember my first estate planning potential client asked me, well, why would I pay you this money when I can just go on Google and download the documents? And I tilted my head because I was younger and at the time I just couldn't believe that they would take the time to invite me into their home and then to ask me that question. And it wasn't until I got a little more experience that the answer to that is readily available. Google has no professional responsibility to provide you correct, current information that applies to your specific state's laws. Google doesn't have that, but I, as an attorney barred in my states of Alabama and Georgia, and every other attorney who is admitted to practice in their state, they have that legal responsibility to do it. If you were to go on Google right now and put in living will in Georgia, you would find a website that would give you one. But Georgia does not recognize living wills and hasn't for at least the last 10 years. We do an advanced directive. And that's just one example of something that the layman wouldn't know because why? You can find it online. And so I'm not saying that those resources are bad. There are some really good resources out there as far as like the rocket lawyer and all the rest of it. What I am saying is when you can do better, do it, but don't hesitate to start. Wow. This is so amazing. I mean, you have unleashed so much information. Like I told you from the outset, I'm just really excited to talk about this because I just know how important it is. When I was growing up, the insurance man came to your house. Everybody had insurance. They even had insurance on the children. I don't know what happened between then and now. Why do you think people don't get life insurance? Well, there are a few reasons. Some of them are uh, societal. Some of them are social. Some of them are racial. Um, So first, you said that the insurance man used to come door to door. And so whoever the adult was, they normally had a really good job. You know, back when our grandparents were coming through, people learned a trade. And then if there were resources in the family, you went to college. But you always had something to fall back on. You could get a job, right? And most of the times, if you worked for like a factory or in a plant, it was a pretty decent job where you could support your family. And so even if you didn't know how to read and write, you did know that insurance was something that if you could afford it, you should get it. And so when the insurance man came around, you did purchase the policies. So there are a couple of things that have changed since that time. Number one, the insurance company doesn't come around like that. But even if he did, we would not be trustful of him because a lot of those policies that they sold back then, they were junk. 
I specifically remember when my grandmother passed away uh, 15 years ago, excuse me, 10 years ago, one of the policies that she had purchased back in the day and had been paying on all the, those years, it was for like 25 or $30. But she had been paying money on those policies for all these years and the face value did not appreciate. It did not increase. So you have distrust is one thing. The second thing is I mentioned that Back in those days, you learned a trade and then you went to college. And so you always had a way to make money. Well, remember, we had a shift with uh, the industrialization of not just the country, but our people going to college more and skipping the trade route. And so a lot of times the college jobs that we were getting weren't even paying what you could get at the factory in the plant. So there was a lack of financial resources to get insurance because related to that, number three, the price of insurance also went up and also the requirements for getting that insurance changed. Before, you would just purchase the policy, you'd make payments on it, and if something happened to somebody, they would pay it out. Well, then came these uh, rules about pre-existing conditions, also having to have a medical exam, looking at your age, your weight, your height, and all the rest of it, and it immediately disqualified a lot of folks. So you had a lot of things going on in there to make people very leery and cautious about getting insurance. And then some companies went belly up, they wouldn't pay out. And then you also had the racial factor. A lot of times people use insurance to build generational wealth. So when one generation passed away, they would leave a lot of money through the insurance policy and they would be able to prosper. Well, if you weren't able to get insurance, be able to transition that well, that was a way to keep you in a certain economic bracket and keep you working a certain type of job. Now, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, all that being said, when you know better, you do better. And that those things, while they are still at play in some instances, there are ways for us now to, to combat them. Number one, when we look at our children and we see that they are either not going to go into something where they'll be able to readily make money, or we know that they are headed to college, we need to make sure that they have some kind of skill, that they can be working, and they can start saving and putting away and also encouraging them when they are of that age to go ahead and purchase life insurance. Number two, we need to get insurance on our children because if our child were to die, it's not just covering the burial, it's also taking the time off of work so we can get our minds and hearts right. Because my daughter is 12. If I lost my sweet girl today, I would be in no shape to go to work tomorrow. That insurance gives me an opportunity to sit down and to properly grieve and to remember the good times we had so that when I do come back to work, I can be an effective professional and not have to be the grieving working. That is the most heartbreaking thing to see people who have to return to work immediately after losing someone they love because they have to eat and pay their bills. That's rough. The next thing that we have to do is we have to ensure that our assets are properly insured as well. Many times we'll pay off a house and because we're not required to have insurance, we don't or it's underinsured. Yes, your house, when you purchased it, maybe it was worth of one twenty, but after having it for 20 or 30 years, I'm hoping that it has appreciated in value and you need to adjust your policies and such. And as you make more money during your career, you need to up your insurance limits as well. 
So if you in the initial policy you purchased was maybe twenty five thousand when you were twenty, well you're forty now and you're making I'm hoping a lot more money. And so you need to be able to provide for your family. You need to increase the face value of the policy. Now that's a great tip. I think it's really important that we think about getting insurance. And to the point Phyllis made about people saying that they don't want to leave anything for someone else to kick their feet up with, at the bare minimum, I think people should at least have enough money to bury them so that the family is not going around creating GoFundMe accounts and fried chicken dinners and all of these things in order to pay for the funeral and burial expenses. I totally agree. Now, I wanted to swing back to the advanced directive and the living will because this is another issue that I think is so important because a lot of times people get into fights. You were talking about how people get into fights when people die over the things that they're leaving behind, but people get into fights about decisions that have to be made. Should we take them off of the respirator? Should we do life-sustaining measures? What should we do? Well, if a person has an advanced directive, they're already telling you what to do, so it takes the pressure off of you. And I just really want you to speak to the importance of having these documents. Absolutely. So as you already stated, the advanced directive, or in some states it's called the living will, tells your relatives and healthcare providers exactly what you want to happen should you become incapacitated. And a lot of people don't have these because they don't want to think about the end of life, but think about the pressure you're putting on your family members when they have no idea what you want. Do you want to be on life support? Do you only want to be on life support for a defined period of time? And if you don't come back around to just let you go, do you want to have a feeding tube, but not a ventilator, a respirator, or the other way around? The advanced directive is, or living will in some states, is a very well documented excuse me, laid out document. And it has the boxes just for you to check. You don't have to write anything. You give a copy to the person that you want to make those decisions. You also give a copy to your primary care physician. And if there is a particular hospital or health system where you go to, like here in Georgia, uh, Wellstar is pretty big as well as Grady, right? And so if you normally go within that system for your care, you would just give that copy to the doctor or to the hospital, it's scanned into the system. So if you rush to the, the ER, they can pull that up and they immediately see it. Um, it's really important that that document is completed exactly as it is specified. Like when I was talking about the will and I said that it did not necessarily have to be witnessed and notarized and all the rest of it, the advanced directive is a whole different follow wax. That is a legal document and it has to be completed. It has to be witnessed. It has to be notarized and it has to be turned in. When you think about the fact that people, when they are emotional, they are compromised. They are not reasonable and they say and do things that are counter to the person that you know them to be. And so it is important that you write down and make as clear and plain as possible exactly what is to be done in certain situations. because. If you're a parent and something happens to you, it is not reasonable for you to expect your child to 
make a decision that is in best for you, but counter to their emotions. You are mom. You are dad. You're the person who put their bike together, who played Santa Claus, who taught them how to skate, who went outside and threw the football with them. You are not thinking rationally. Your children are not thinking rationally. All they're thinking about is this is about to come to an end. And so as much as possible, if you can lead them through the things that you want done in a very business-like and professional manner, you are blessing them beyond measure. Oh my goodness. That is so, so true. And I wish more people thought about that in advance. I want to speak to what you said about the advanced directive because I had an experience last year. My grandfather died. He had an advanced directive. He had a power of attorney in which I was a power of attorney and he also had a will. Well, he died here in North Carolina. And this is why I think it's important to have an attorney. Like you were saying, yes, you can get the stuff offline, but there are some things that you just don't know. And my grandfather wanted to be buried in California because that's where we're from. When I got ready to make arrangements for him to go to California and they asked for his advanced directive, his advanced directive didn't say what to do with his remains. And because it didn't say that, we were at a standstill for a long time and nothing mattered because it didn't say what to do with his remains. Because of that, they said, the next of kin had to handle everything, even though I had the power of attorney and all of that stuff, that didn't matter. So people have to make sure that they understand these documents because they are different in every state. And I think that's why it's important to have a legal professional to handle these things for you. I totally agree. And you know, it's interesting what you said. You had all of the documentation. And normally, if the the document is silent as to something as specific as the remains. They would defer to the person who is in charge, who is the agent of the power of attorney. But think of it from the perspective of the hospitals. They have the grieving blood next of kin standing in their face, and they don't want to be sued. Who's more likely to sue? The person who's not getting their way, who's next of kin, who's blood, or the person who's the agent who may or may not be as close. They're going to go with the person who they think is going to come after them like Rambo, first blood. And you got to understand that from a perspective of the hospital wants to do what's best for everybody, but they are first looking to themselves and to protect their interests. And that is absolutely the right thing to do because they have other patients that they have to care for. And if they're spending a bunch of money in litigation over something like this, they can't do that. It makes sense now, but it definitely didn't make sense then. I was pretty upset. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I I really respect the fact that you took your experience and didn't allow it to hijack you and to make you bitter and instead opened up your heart to this platform to thankfully bring me in so we could talk about it and hopefully it'll help and bless some other people. I, I commend you. I commend you both for that. Lanita, you spoke of the financial piece of having a will. And one question that I had was, what if I have all this money in the bank, in different banks? I don't want it to go back to the state. So what could I do to ensure my savings or 401k goes to a loved one? 
Wonderful question. So when you complete your will, there is an entire section on your financial assets, specifically talking about your 401k, money market account, savings, checking, uh, stocks, all of that. And you get to list it. Now, you can put the dollar amount there as of the time of the will. But there's an understanding that that will fluctuate. So what I normally encourage people to do is instead of focusing on a dollar amount, to focus instead on the account number. Now, that is in the document of the will. You know who you want your executor of your estate to be and the person to execute your wishes according to your will. Keep that person pretty informed as to what the balances on all these things should be. Because if on Tuesday you're alive and well and you've got a hundred grand spread across these various financial instruments and on Saturday you pass and the balance is zero, your executor knows that something crazy went down within those five days and they know how to backtrack. They can just have the bank go through and pull those statements. But if they don't have any idea that you had about a hundred grand, then when they get the banks, when they find out that there's nothing in there, there might not be a reason to ask the question, well, should there have been? Now, malfeasance, it is not as prevalent as a lot of these movies like to make it seem. But I will say I have had situations where people have been cut out of the will and or that what they thought they were getting, they did not actually received because the money was not there like they had been led to believe. And in those instances, I think it is very important that the executive be transparent about the transactions that went on leading up to the final demise of the person who wrote the will called the testator. So I, I really think that it's important for you to be very organized with what you have. Um, I do agree with having more than one checking account, you know, your, your cash is FDIC insured up to 250000 per account. I do believe in having relationships with various banks. That being said, I think it's important to have a list of where you have everything readily available so that people aren't searching all over your house and looking for old statements and trying to pull things together based on something stuffed on their mattress here or in a obscure draw there. That's not fair to anybody. It definitely isn't. And I have a fireproof box in my closet that I told some people about in case something happens. But I'm just, I'm amazed. And I'm so glad we had this conversation so we can all implement something before it's too late. So am I. And I think that that would be wonderful. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been wonderful. Anita, you have taught us so much. There were so many aspects. I'm not sure why I overlooked this, but the emotional aspect of dealing with death that I didn't think of, such as making decisions and making sound decisions and alleviating difficult decisions. You also talked about living will, financial will, child insurance, flawed insurance issues with policy, and just so much. If you were to leave the listeners with something to implement, since it's, it's a lot, where would you, where would be their starting point? Where would be their call to action? We call it the principal challenge. 
Do you have a principal challenge for us? I surely do. And this is something that most people, even when they have a will, don't do. But I say start here. Principal challenge. Live them out. Write a letter to your family. Tell them what's in your heart. Tell them why you are doing what you're doing, why you're leaving things to this person or getting this insurance for that person. Let them know what is on your mind and why you're doing things you're doing. That is something easy. It doesn't have to be anything long. It can be on a notebook piece of paper that you tear out of your child's spiral notebook, written in pencil or or pen. But definitely sit down and write out a letter stating why you are taking the action that you are. Because it is important that you do take action. Now that you have heard this program, now you have the knowledge and you have the responsibility to do better for yourself and for your family. And now I see why you are a coach. Because <laughs> you think of the whole aspect and I never, I never thought of that either or heard anyone do it. Where can, we spoke of your website earlier, lmblawoffices.com. Yes. Is there any way else other people can connect with you? Absolutely. You can reach me online. Um, I have, I'm on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Lanita Mitchell Blackwell. And um, I am very responsive. And you can always go to my website and email or call. I, I actually do respond. <laughs> and the reason I connected with you is because we have a mutual friend and you also have your own social media app. So can you tell us about that as well? Absolutely. Um, I met Billy Crutcher years ago through a women's conference that I put on called the Leading Lady Legacy. And Billy was very gracious in hosting our tour there in the Raleigh-Durham area. And we stayed friends and in building up Leading Through Living, which is my coaching and professional and personal development coach organization. We established an app for our community where I met Phyllis and it has been a beautiful journey. We're actually in the process of revamping the app so that it's more um, in tune with what our community needs as far as training and development. And so I'm really excited about those changes rolling out later this summer. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking out your time to educate us and enlighten us of all the deeper issues as well as the legal issues. You're very welcome and thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Latricia Lanita has given us so much hearty information. She even gave us our principal challenge, which I never considered. People want to know why you made this decision. So that's a lot of comfort. Well, we spoke about a lot of different things, such as education, law system, and more. And our good news will touch on many of those key points. Open your mind, heart, and ears as we spread the good news. Not rumors, not rubbish. Living the principles, we spread the good news. The city of Cleveland is to pay $18 million to Ricky Jackson, Wiley Reisman, and Kwame Ajimu. They were convicted for murder in 1975. Ajamu states money can't buy freedom and money certainly doesn't make innocence, but it's nice to see justice prevail. 
twin sisters, Ariana and Ariella Williams from Milwaukee, were accepted to 38 colleges and received $1 million in scholarship. They chose Marquis University so they could stay close to home. They both will study to become nurses. In the month of May, we celebrated Malcolm X's birthday. In the article, When Malcolm Came to Penn, written to honor his 95th birthday, highlights many of his contributions. Nowadays, Howard says, young people may not be aware of how much they are influenced by Malcolm X. He says there could be no Colin Kaepernick or Kendrick Lamar without Malcolm X, and they would admit as much. And he also sees much of Malcolm in different ways, and the likes of Beyonce, Serena Williams, and director Ava DuVernay. That concludes our good news for today. Latricia, we have had a hearty conversation about not only the legal issues with theft, but also the importance of emotions while dealing with transitions. I sure you have our soul snack and we're ready to hear it. Our soul snack for today is an African proverb that says, for tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. That's our show for today. Until next time, expand your minds and impact your communities. Thanks for listening to Living the Principles podcast. Be sure to visit us at livingtheprinciples365.com to access the show and join in on the conversations.